Well, we're talking about something uh, a bit different to that this morning. One of the most well-known and well-loved verses, you see it on people's shirts, we just had it read as well, is this one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Uh, It's such a wonderful summary of the gospel. I think that's why people love it so much that God loves us, loves this world, despite our evil. You've got to fill it out and, and if you just take it without the filling it out, it kind of can say multiple things. But, but the world is the world that's against God. He loves us despite our evil. And when he sent his son, he sent him in order to die for us, that we might have eternal life rather than be eternally condemned in hell, which is where everyone is heading without Jesus. But the question I want to ask this morning is, who is this promise for? Uh, Because at the heart of this incredible statement of God's love uh, is a condition. You see it there in the middle of it? It's for whoever believes in him, whoever has faith. It's the same term. Uh, God's incredible promise of eternal life and not perishing of love despite sin comes to whoever has whatever this faith is, whoever believes. And you know, I think that creates for us a huge dilemma. For faith is not something that is particularly well regarded by large parts of our community and even larger parts of our community are completely confused by the term, even disagree with each other and disagree about what faith is. Uh, for many people, faith is a leap in the dark. It's, it's what you have when you believe something to be true in spite of any evidence. It's what you have when you have no reason. And so you hear people use terms like take a leap of faith. Uh, it's, or it's, it's blind faith. It's blind because... It can't see any actual reason to do it. It's a leap because you've got to leave your rational senses behind and hope for the best and just jump off that cliff and embrace whatever it is that you're being sold. That's not a new thought, of course. Uh, It's been around for a couple hundred years. Let's see if this works. Uh, Here we go. Voltaire. I found out during this week that... Uh, Voltaire is a nom de plume, it's a, it's a writer's name and so our electricity is named after a fake name. But anyway, um, the, the French philosopher and writer Voltaire in the 1700s says, is faith believing what is evident? No, uh, faith consists in believing when it is beyond the power of reason to believe. That's, that's, a, that's not a great place to be, is it? You're, it's, you can't reason this out, so just believe it. Uh, or in his case, he'd probably say, don't believe it. He's saying if you have the evidence for something and you, and you accept that evidence, then what you have is not faith but something else. That's reason. Uh, and so there are matters which are of reason uh, on the one hand and matters which are of faith on the other. And when it comes to God and religion, we're definitely in the realm of faith and not reason. And I think most Westerners assume that that's what we mean and that's what the Bible means when it talks about faith. That it's something you have when you have no real reasons for it to believe. Now, some still think that's correct, that that's what faith is. But they'd say it's a good thing despite that. They're positive about it. 
Uh, you take George Pell, the now disgraced cardinal, now dead cardinal, uh, on Q&A a few years ago debating Richard Dawkins, and they're talking at cross-purposes. Um, <laughs> Pell says, faith doesn't go against reason, but it goes beyond it. Now, that's one of those mysterious-sounding statements that doesn't actually mean anything in the end. What does that mean? Uh, I don't know. In the incredibly popular book, now movie, Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert says this, there's a reason we refer to leaps of faith because the decision to consent to any notion of divinity is a mighty jump from the rational over to the unknowable and I don't care how diligently scholars of every religion will try to sit you down with their stacks of books and prove to you through scripture that their faith is indeed rational, it isn't. If faith were rational, it wouldn't be, by definition, faith. Faith is belief in what you cannot see or prove or touch. Faith is walking face first and full speed into the dark. If we truly knew the answers in advance as to the meaning of life and the nature of God and the destiny of our souls, our belief would not be a leap of faith and it would not be a courageous act of humanity. It would just be a prudent insurance policy. Now, she's pro-faith. I mean, the character in the book is going around uh, becoming a Buddhist and experiencing all kinds of different faiths and as she eats her way around the world. But, but she wants people to have faith, but, but she says it's all a leap in the dark, which in her case is really about finding yourself. And you hear how positive people are about faith, even though they see it as irrational when they say things like, gee, I wish I had your faith. Do you really wish you had it? Uh, they're really saying, I wish I could trust in something as strong as you, even though there's no evidence that compels me. But I can see that you do it, and that's really great. <laughs> but there's plenty of others who are not so encouraging if that's in fact what faith is. If faith is against reason, they'll take the next logical step and say, well, then faith is stupidity. And so Benjamin Franklin, the American inventor turned politician, said... To follow by faith alone is to follow blindly. Author Robert Wilson says, belief is the death of intelligence. Uh, this is not a picture of Friedrich Nietzsche because I can't do my PowerPoints uh, late at night. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche, the great atheist philosopher who said God is dead and we have killed him, also said a casual stroll through the lunatic excitement shows that faith does not prove anything and so if you're on that side of the group that sees what faith is as kind of this leap in the dark uh, psychological crutch you're seen as weak stupid gullible you're easily led up the garden path you're the kind of person who who believes the email saying you've inherited 10 billion dollars just give us your account details so we can transfer it over <laughs> Indeed, the accusation flies around that faith is nothing more than a psychological crutch, which means you're obviously an emotional cripple if you have faith who needs some fantasy, some invention of your own imagination or someone else's imagination to prop you up. Saying it's a psychological crutch is, is a call to stop making up stories that make you feel better and just be brave and face the cool facts of life. We should be able to cope with reality on our own. We don't need these fun stories about fairies and gods and things to, 
to prop us up. If you need a psychological crutch, then you're obviously emotionally stunted or mentally broken, just like if you need a real crutch when your leg is broken. So there's the options that are floating around our community about what faith is, which doesn't uh, leave us in a very good choice. It's interesting when there's a, there's a debate between whether faith is good and faith is bad, but none of the opponents uh, actually be- believe what faith is is real. <laughs> they, 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 they're all agreeing on something when they're both wrong. But the options are that it's a leap in the dark and against reason, or it's a psychological crutch to prop you up when you're emotionally broken. Is that what the Bible has in mind? Is that what John 3.16 has in mind when it calls on me and it calls on you to uh, have faith, to believe? Does the Bible mean throw out your mind and believe in magic sky fairies, which is one accusation levelled at believers on Q&A? Does the Bible say don't investigate, don't think too hard because rationality is the enemy of faith? Is that what the Bible in general or John 3.16 means? I don't want to say not at all. Uh, The Greek word that's translated as faith or to believe in the New Testament is this one, pistuo. Uh, Pistuo, it's variously translated, uh, have faith, believe, trust, entrust yourself. Uh, Here's the Greek definition, uh, Greek dictionary defining it. Pistuo means to think to be true, to be persuaded of, to credit, to place confidence in, to trust someone or something, to entrust something to someone. And it always carries the notion of investigation of the reliability of the facts or the person or the objects of faith in order to be persuaded that it is indeed trustworthy. It's being persuaded that something is true. It's not just believing it because you want to believe it. It's being persuaded that this is right. And the Bible would say that to have faith that is against reason, faith despite the evidence, faith that ignores the facts, is not faith at all. It's at best wishful thinking and at worst a stupidity which will lead you to great harm disappointment and even disaster. You think about uh, the, uh, the blue chairs. Andrew happens to be sitting on one over here. Uh, hi, Andrew. Um, will one of those blue chairs over there hold me up, do you think? Well, what makes me think that it will? Well, if I'm to have faith in it, uh, if I'm to believe in the way that the Bible means of faith, it means I should have good reasons before I go and carelessly throw my weight around and plonk my ample backside down on one of those blue things. Um, Why would I have faith in one of those chairs over there? Are there good reasons to exercise my faith that way? Well, my experience of chairs is generally pretty good. They, they, they pretty well hold me up. I've sat in lots of chairs in lots of times. Indeed, heavier people than me sit in chairs and, and frankly, they're okay. In fact, I've sat in one of those chairs before. I think I've probably sat in every one of those chairs before. Uh, and while I might be heavier than the average Aussie, I suspect that it was over-engineered to design and designed to hold people like me up. 
There's no warning signs on them that these are for 50 kilo featherweights. Uh, <laughs> I can't see any defects with them over there. Uh, the legs are all attached. There's no cracks. And Andrew's sitting in one right now and he seems to be floating above the ground. Okay, right? But investigating it for the truth isn't yet faith. I haven't had faith just by looking at it. I have faith when I'm persuaded and I exercise my trust in it and actually go and sit down over there. And you can see if I really have faith after the service. You know? <laughs> um, it, it's like a train. I want to go to the city. Uh, something, someone tells me there are things called trains which take people to the city. Uh, you can walk down the end of Oxford Road and, and they arrive there every half hour at the platform. Uh, and so I go there and I wait and this big metal thing pulls up in which I can only assume is this mythical train which takes people to cities. Uh, the announcement comes over the speaker that this thing is indeed the train and it's going to the city I want to go to. In fact, it tells me which route it's taking to the city, that it's going via Liverpool in this case or uh, the uh, airport. The door opens in front of me. The question is now, will I put my faith in it? Will I step on board? True faith is exercising your trust in things you have confidence in for good reasons. It is sensible. It's about being persuaded, being confident in something and then trusting it. That's what the Bible means by faith. And so let me ask you then, what is more important? The amount of faith that a person exercises or the thing you have faith in actually being trustworthy? Which one's more important? The amount of faith that you have or the trustworthiness of the thing you're, you're having faith in? That's the second one, isn't it? What really matters is that the thing you trust is trustworthy, that the chair holds you up. Right? Faith always has an object. It's a faith in something. Right? It's not just faith, it's faith in trains, chairs, God. And that object may or may not turn out to be reliable. I may have done my due diligence on the chair and I go to sit in it and it might still collapse on me, like once happened to me in a cafe in Newtown. It was obviously the chair. Uh, <laughs> Very, very embarrassing when the legs go <laughs> out from under you. It was one of those plastic outdoor ones. Uh, maybe I didn't read the warning label. But, it, but if it did collapse, it wouldn't be because my faith is weak or inadequate, but because the chair is weak. The real test of faith is the reliability of the object of faith. That's how you know if the faith is any good by its object. And so what is John 3.16 telling us, telling you, telling me to have faith in, to believe in? For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a call, it's about believing in, having faith in, entrusting yourself to Jesus the only Son of God. So the Bible's not interested in people having faith in some vaguely existential reality called God. 
It's not magic sky fairies or tooth fairies or any number of fictional characters. John 3.16 is saying that you can know the evidence and you can totally rely on Jesus. In fact, we saw last week, how do you know that God is there? Well, because he turned up (laughs) and you can see the evidence of it, who he is, what he is, what he does. In fact, you read through the book of John where this is quoted from, one of the four biographies of Jesus, and it sets out the evidence that Jesus is, in fact, this Son of God, that he is the one sent from the Father, he is trustworthy. Indeed, John says why he wrote the book is this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these ones are written so that you may believe that you can have faith, that you can have tested it, have seen the evidence that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is saying that his book is systematic evidence for the claim that Jesus is who he says he is and that he's indeed trustworthy. And you can go and read through John's Gospel and see for yourself if that's in fact true. Or there are any other number of good books and researchers who've, who've looked into it and I've got a bunch on my bookshelf and others that I've lent out and so uh, here's just three I pulled off the shelf uh, this morning defending the gospel what to say when people challenge your faith it's got really good chapters on did Jesus really rise again how can you know that's true what's the evidence uh, here's two DVDs the life of Jesus by John Dixon or the Christ Files by John Dixon. You're welcome to borrow these. Uh, probably not today because I've got to show them off at the other services. There's Lee Strobel's books, you know, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. You know, there's an atheist who's setting out a journalist to prove that faith and Jesus and the resurrection are all wrong and ends up becoming a Christian because he investigated the evidence. The evidence is strong. The archaeology night, I've put the link on the outline there to our night from Tuesday. It's a fantastic night. You should go and watch that video. It's terrific. Uh, See all the slides as well. They're really fun. Here is someone in Jesus who makes good on his claims. Jesus is God. But John 3.16 is not challenging you to research the evidence and just come to a conclusion that he existed. It's not calling on us to just believe that he's God. It's calling on you to trust him, to commit to him, to sit on the chair, to get on board the train. And you say, well, trust him to do what? Well, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's calling on you to trust him to deliver you from perishing and give you eternal life. It's calling... It's calling on us to trust him to deliver us from hell into heaven. It's calling us to understand our predicament as part of this world which is in outright rebellion against God, to acknowledge that destruction is coming and God will bring about that reality and it's calling on you to understand God cares about you anyway and it's offering a way out. It's calling you to come back to him. It's calling you to trust that when he promises that you can be forgiven, you will be forgiven. When he promises that you can be pardoned, then you will be pardoned when you join him. 
And so it's calling you to trust not just who he is, but what he's done to make these promises a reality. That he's died for you, he has died in your place. That's why God, in his love for the world, in his love for you, sent his one and only son to die your death, to pay for your sin, to die on the cross and fulfill the death penalty which is owing for your rebellion against him. He has done it. And he's thrown off the cloak of death and come back and the evidence is there too. You can see it in in, in any of these books here or DVDs. People who refuse to believe are convinced because uh, he, sorry, people in the Bible who refuse to believe are convinced when he comes to them like Thomas. He's thrown off death and so when he promises eternal life can be yours, eternal life is there waiting and will be yours. This is a statement of the king, God, proclaiming amnesty. There is a ceasefire and he is suing for peace. He's offering a chance at peace with our maker that everyone might have, peace that is paid for by him. And so when John 3.16 says to believe, it's to understand that God is good for his offer and then to act by laying down your arms and taking up the offer of amnesty while it's still there. It's to rely on Jesus as your way back. It's to trust him as the one who can who can save and trust him now to be your king that he will now call the shots trust him because he's totally and utterly reliable trust him because the evidence says it's true trust him because you've researched it and become convinced of it you're now persuaded faith is not and must not be a leap in the dark if you're a christian and you've never sat down and considered whether it's actually true or not If you've not done the research, then the Bible would actually say you're a fool. And faith is not and must not be a psychological crutch. If you're a Christian just to make yourself feel good or just because you're emotionally needy, then you need help. (laughs) Of course, being a forgiven Christian, a child of God, brings joy and contentment and assurance and hope and all sorts of wonderful blessings, but... That's not a good enough reason to be a Christian if it's just to feel good about yourself or go and eat chocolate. (laughs) Faith is reasoned, fact-based reliance on the one who can save you for eternity. But let me be brutally honest for a moment. Our society with all its confusion about Christianity and faith pretends that the issues it has are academic ones. There's not enough proof, not enough evidence. It's not true. Uh, we had that fabulous night on Tuesday with Hans Christensen taking us through the archaeology, uh, the links there. Uh, and, and if you do the work, you can find there's more than ample evidence for the reliability of scriptures, for the historicity of Jesus, for the miracles, for his death, for his resurrection. Uh, on Easter Sunday, we looked at Paul's conversion, didn't we? Uh, and how he was able to call on the king of Israel and call him out for burying his head in the sand and ignoring the evidence that he knew to be true. And I, as I said then, the real problems aren't academic. The real problem is hard hearts. Jesus says, I love you. And we say, I'm not sure I need that. Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth. We say, well, the truth's all relative. 
Jesus says, I'll forgive your sin. We say, well, I'll figure that one out myself. Jesus says, I know what lies beyond the grave. We say, well, I'll just go with my gut. Jesus says, come to me. And I say, no, I'll go with myself. It's just pride. That's all it is. Some say Christianity is the easiest religion in the world because all you've got to do is believe. But it's also the hardest because you've got to be humble in order to believe. You've got to come to an end of your own efforts. You need to admit that you can't make it and yet you need someone to save you. You have to receive what Jesus has done. Everything else is self-righteousness. It's an attempt to earn merit, your own salvation, and Jesus will have none of it. He'll have none of it. But does it matter? Who cares? Of course it matters. If the evidence is in, and it is, then surely what Jesus is saying here is that if you will not trust him, if you will not believe, then you will perish. You will go to judgment and face God's anger on your own. Which is exactly what John says two verses later in verse 18. Whoever believes in him, that is Jesus, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he's not believed, had faith in, the name of God's one and only Son. There's no other way out of it. As it talks about in the other Bible reading, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, transgressions. Dead people don't just get up. Dead people cannot save themselves. Dead people cannot do a few religious rituals and cure their rotting, decaying corpses. We need to be remade and only Jesus can do it. You don't need to be good. You need to be loved. You don't need to pay anybody back. You need to be forgiven. You don't need to straighten out your life a bit. You need a new life. You don't need to find your way to God. He's come looking for you. You don't need to please God in order to be saved. He's already pleased with the work of Jesus on your behalf. You don't need to die. You can live. You don't need to go to hell. You can go to heaven. But it comes down to one question, doesn't it? Do you trust? Do you believe? And if you don't, who is more trustworthy than Jesus? Who is more selfless than Jesus? Truly, who has done anything for you that rises to the magnitude of what Jesus has done for you? Who loves you that much that they would die in your place? I call you today not to spirituality, not to morality, not to politics, not to philosophy, not to leaping in the dark or walking around on psychological crutches. I call you to the King, to Jesus Christ who died for you and rose again, who is here today. He's alive and well and he's handing out love and grace and I beg you to believe in him and receive him and be his child. That's why he's died for you. That's why he rose again. And it really comes down to getting things straight with Jesus today if you haven't already. He loves you so much. Will you respond in love, with trust, with belief? He loves you. That's why he brought you here today. That's why he died for you. That's why John 3.16 is so good.
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Father, we thank you for the, the truth of your word, the power of your word and for your love for this world and for us that you would give your son. Help us to be well thought out, well researched, to have evidence for our faith. And if we don't yet believe, we pray please that you'll help us sort out what the evidence is and isn't. We pray for this term as we look into Matthew's gospel and as we uh, have discussion nights and all sorts of other things to point to Jesus, we pray that many people will come to have this faith in this Son of God who can have eternal life as a result. In his name we pray. Amen.